The subject of this, in case any of you are here wrongly, is Father of the Bride Shepherding Our Children Toward Marriage. And I want to read uh, off and on from Genesis 24. The Jews say that the greatest marriage was the marriage of Isaac and Rebekah. And we have a really complete account of it in Genesis 24. And I want to read some from that. In Genesis 24, beginning with verse 1, it says, Now Abraham was old, advanced in age, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in every way. Abraham said to his servant, the oldest of his household, who had charge of all that he owned, Please place your hand under my thigh, and I will make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you shall not take a wife from my son from the daughters of the Canaanites, among whom I live, but you will go to my country and to my relatives and take a wife for my son Isaac. And so Abraham, the father of the faithful, who is referred to in scripture as a man of faith, undertook to provide his son Isaac a wife as an act of faith. He was old, he was getting his, his house in order. He ended up living quite long after this, but at this time he was about 140. And his son Isaac was 40, all right? Notice that Abraham was careful to see to the passing on to his son of his commitment to God, of the covenant, all right? And we know that because he says, don't take a bride. You're not supposed to, we're not going to have a bride for my son from the Canaanites. Now, why was that? Well, that was because the Canaanites were under a curse. And do any of you know where the curse came from? No, not from Esau. From Noah. You remember that Noah had one son, and that son's name was Ham, who came in and saw his father's nakedness and went out and told his brothers. Two of the other sons came in backwards and dropped the blanket on their father. All right? And so Noah cursed that son. But the curse was on Canaan. Canaan was Ham's son. And so the Canaanites were cursed because of the action of their patriarch, their father, Ham, in exposing the nakedness of his, of, 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 of his father. And so here's what Abraham says, don't take a wife. Don't take a wife from among the Canaanites. And that, of course, is the second principle. The first is we have an obligation to exercise leadership and direction in the choice of a spouse for our sons and our daughters. And this is just so obvious, right? How could you be a man who takes responsibility for your family and not take responsibility for their marriage? It's just insane, right? Everybody understands this. And so Abraham took responsibility. And the first responsibility he took was to set life and death, heaven and hell, curse and blessing in front of his son, in front of his servant, and say, you may not hear, you must hear, all right? And what he was not to do was to give himself to a Canaanite. Are you all with me? Now, who are the Canaanites today? Well, it is interesting that they were the ones that he lived among. <laughs> you know, I just thought that would be an encouragement to some of us. Um, 
<laughs> the Canaanites were those who did not belong to God. And you know that in the end, when the Israelites came back to the promised land, the reason they came back when they came back, and the reason that they wiped out the men, the women, the children, the babies, and the cattle, was why? Why did they wipe them all out? God was judging them, and God kept them in Egypt until they had filled the cup of their wickedness. And when the, they filled the cup of their wickedness, then God wiped them out. It's very interesting that um, shortly before he died, I said to my father-in-law that I felt that one of the things that was very, very difficult for me watching him was to see him question the goodness of God at that point. Now listen, every man who is really a man and reads the Bible has points of scripture that are very difficult for him. Okay? Okay, everybody hear me on this. If you read through the Psalms, you're going to see that David had things that were very difficult. Like, for instance, Psalm 73. You know, the rich are proud and, and they never suffer the way the rest of us do. Well, who's he speaking to? He's speaking to God. And so it's sort of an accusation against God. We take those things to God because he's our father. If we think our father is being unfair or unfaithful to his wife, <laughs> would you confront your dad if you felt he was being unfaithful to your mother? All right, so Mary Lee's father always was, he had great difficulty with God's treatment of the Canaanites, that, that God wiped them out. Now, it will help you to understand that. He was a pacifist. All right. But you guys, if you're not capable of seeing life and death, heaven and hell, God's blessing and God's curse, and recognizing that this is the central reality, what Stephen just said, those who are the children of Satan, those who are the children of God. If you're too squeamish or precious or feminine, effeminate, to see and to embrace that this is God's prerogative, how on earth are you going to protect your children? <laughs> because you're just going to have shades of gray. And that's how you're going to communicate to your children. Well, you know, that might not be the best, but whatever you decide, son. No, 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 that's not leadership. Now, there is an opposite error, which is to control your son's life, and you can't do that. And it's an art, not a science. Taylor and I have had words in the last two weeks over this, you know. He thinks he's done with me. I mean, he wants to, he loves me. He's very tender towards me, but he thinks he's done with me. And uh-uh, <laughs> he ain't never going to be done with me, right, right? Look at the Canaanites. Abraham says what? No. And listen, this is probably the most important thing that we get in our minds right now. After the earlier session, an individual came up to me and said, basically, you know, I'm giving myself to the most wicked sins. And so, what do you have to say to me? And what I had to say to him is, you need to get out of a church that allows you to commit the most wicked sins, and they allow you to call yourself a Christian because you don't fear God. And so your soul is helpless until you find yourself in a place where you're going to constantly be having to make choices, right? You understand this. 
And so what I would say to you is, do not cultivate an ability in your life to blur the distinction between God and Satan, between children of God and children of Satan. And that must start with yourself. <laughs> if you're someone that wants to hold on to your precious sins and claim the name of Christ and be a hypocrite, this is no hope for your children's marriage. Because I'm, I guarantee you, your children know every one of your sins. Every last one. It's awful. <laughs> and they know them, you know. So, Abraham did what? Abraham made the line of demarcation clear. Abraham did not live in the demilitarized zone. He had no conviction that there was such a thing as a demilitarized zone. You are not to have a, 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 a bride from the Canaanites. Now, can any of you think of an opposite uh, behavior of, of a parent? in the Old Testament. Huh? Anybody? Samson. That's right. Samson's parents. Let me read it to you. Um, we read in Judges 14, Then Samson went down to Timnah and saw a woman in Timnah, one of the daughters of the Philistines. Uh, not good, right? Canaanites. And so he came back and told his father and mother, I saw a woman in Timnah, one of the daughters of the Philistines. Now therefore... Get her for me as a wife. Then his father and his mother said to him, Is there no woman among the daughters of your relatives or among all our people that you go to take a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? But Samson said to his father, Get her for me, for she looks good to me. Okay, however, his father and mother did not know that it was of the Lord, for he was seeking an occasion against the Philistines. Now, at that time, the Philistines were ruling over Israel. Then Samson went down to Timnah with his father and mother and came as far as the vineyards of Timnah, and behold, a young lion, etc., etc. They ended up getting her for him. Now, look, they said, is there not a woman among the people of God? And so you can say, well, they did their due diligence. But no, they went on and they got her for him. Now, it was God's will, but don't make a principle out of exceptions, men. That's what the Supreme Court is just wonderful at, basing law on exceptional cases. And we must not do that. Yes, you do have a niece or a nephew or a cousin who has married an unbeliever, and God has been merciful when that unbeliever came to faith. We all know people like that, right? But... Do not use that to trump the clear teaching of Scripture that we are not to be unequally yoked, okay? It's absolutely imperative that our children find husbands and wives who honor God. Are you with me? And I don't mean who are baptized. I don't mean who are church members. All right, which leads me to move along. Um, it's hard, but I think I'm going to uh, skip to an incidental point by point instead of going through the text. That is a beautiful text about marriage. One, let me just mention a couple other things about the story of Abraham's servant. I want you to note that when Abraham explains what he's doing to uh, Rebecca's family, all right, Rebecca is a hard worker. Do you notice that? And that's central to how he chooses a wife for his master's son. 
And it's the woman who waters. And how much water would that be, Nick? I mean, it's like, it was a lot of water. Every gallon is eight pounds. And how many gallons? I've, had, I've heard somebody give an estimate of what it was, but that woman worked hard. And that's a key part of the story, and I'd encourage you, teach your children to work with their hands, not their brains, their hands. <laughs> okay? Your daughter, yes, go ahead, love. Seriously? Yeah. Huh. That's the first thing that impressed him about Amanda. Huh, yeah. You can tell a lot. I can tell a lot by shaking the hands of the people in the church. I can tell what men have worked, worked, and what, what, what sons have worked. And I'm not talking about the, what we men call the pissing contest. You can have that as you shake hands. But I'm talking about the, the texture of the hands, the muscles of the hands. And clearly, her work ethic is central to the account of how she is chosen. All right? Note that. She's the one that says, you know, I'll water your animals. All right? The other thing is, when Abraham speaks to her family, notice that her family goes to her and says, will you go with this man? And I want to again say, at this point, again, the choice of a spouse, of a husband or wife for your children, is a dance. All right? It is not a unilateral action, even where you send out a matchmaker that's your servant. And he's sworn by putting his hand under your thigh before he leaves. And you've told him where to go. I mean, look at the control of Abraham. She is asked. And it's clear that Abraham knows the heart of his son, and his son will go in the direction that Abraham tells him to. Right? And so if she is asked by her family, will you go with him? And she says, I'll go with him. Then they say, okay, we believe that there should be consent. As a matter of fact, all through the church history, there have been regular occurrences of conflict in churches where parents refuse to give consent. We had a terrible case of this in the last, this past year. Terrible case. There was no biblical spiritual grounds for the father opposing the marriage. And what should have happened is he should have been disciplined by the elders of his church for refusing to give consent. What he wanted to do was walk his daughter down the aisle and then sit down and refuse to give permission once he got to the bottom of the aisle. And I was not involved until then. And then I wrote a letter and, and sent it to his pastor, his former pastor, and to him saying, no, you will not do that. You will not walk her down the aisle and refuse consent. You have no biblical basis. This was after many meetings where uh, pastors had met together, elders talked to him, told him he had no biblical basis. So be very careful to realize that the consent of the children is essential for Christian marriage. And that's why at the beginning of the wedding ceremony, you, you, you have two vows. The first one is, will you? And they say, I will. And then you say, do you? And they say, I do. That will you is to, is to ascertain whether or not there's clear unpressured consent on the part of both the bride and groom because with with pressure comes an invalid contract do you understand that and so it's important to note that Rebecca does give her agreement and her agreement is asked now let me go through some specifics 
marrying your daughter or son well, marrying them well, and that's your, your obligation is to marry them well, all right, begins with you yourself marrying well. Duh. <laughs> if you've got a lousy wife, if your wife is an unbeliever, don't be surprised if your children marry poorly. Now, I guess you're the only one. Well, no, Taylor and Seth, so some of you. Marry well if you want your children to marry well, all right? Marry a believer, don't marry a Canaanite, and cultivate your own marriage to the end that you have children and that your children grow in the fertile black soil of your home and marriage. You need to marry well, and then you need to be married well. There needs to be an indication to your children that you love your wife. There needs to be an indication that your wife submits to you. If you grow up in a home where the marriages of both you and the woman that you intend to marry are nasty, it's not a good beginning for the next generation. Are you all with me? And so repent of the sins in your marriage as your children grow. One day, and I'm sure some of you have heard this, one day I heard Joseph downstairs speaking disrespectfully to Mary Lee, and I was up in my bedroom working at my desk. The minute I heard it, two things were clear to me. Number one, I needed to deal with it immediately. And number two, I heard myself in the voice of my son. <laughs> not, a, not, a, not, a, not a pleasant picture. And so I went down and I said, Joseph, you, you may never speak to your mother that way. And I made that very, very clear. And then I said to him, now, Joseph, do you know why you spoke to your mother that way? No, Dad. And I said, because you've heard me speak to your mother that way. And I should never. You may never. Okay, and make that kind of distinction to your children because they see your inconsistencies, so acknowledge them verbally to them, right? And then I said to him, now, Joseph, in the future, if I speak to your mother that way, you may have permission to confront me about it, all right? Because it is sin when I do it, but I will never allow you to do it. You, when you confront me, must wait until after the fact and do it privately. You see that? So work on your marriage. Whatever it is about your marriage that you've gone complacent over that's bad, whatever it is in your life, repent of it so that you don't reproduce it in your children, okay? Because you will have your sins come out in your children and in their marriage. Number two, from their conception, pray regularly for a godly wife or husband for your son or daughter always putting in the qualification if it is your will that they marry. Just make a habit of doing this. This is one of those things that you can just simply do. Pray regularly for the, the future spouse, husband or wife of your children. Okay? And pray with faith. You know, ask God to give them a godly wife or husband who will lead them and help them in godliness if it is his will to marry. And that's what I mean by acknowledging that it may be his will that one or more of your children remain single. If we just assume an act that all of our children are going to get married, that's not biblical. God could call some of them to singleness. Number three, choose a solid and biblical church because it's likely your son or daughter's spouse will come from the people of God that you love and that you gather with for worship. 
All right. Now, <laughs> this does require that you love the church. And next year, we're going to study this, right? You, you must love the church. You must love your wife. You must love the church. Now, I know that's must language, and how do you muster love, you know? Well, love is an act. It's a commitment. It's not a feeling. Um, and so, love the church, love your wife, love your children, love the church. I can remember growing up, Sunday after Sunday, when everybody else was long gone, and especially the pastor, especially the elders, there was my father out on the front steps, hands like this, belly like mine, listening to the confessions and the pain and ministering as a physician to the souls of the church. And so what did I learn? I learned that my father loved the church. We had people in our home all the time, and he loved them. He'd argue with them. But even that, I knew that that was my dad's love, you know? And so love the church, because your children, guess what? Very interesting thing. Your children's hearts will follow yours. <laughs> This is one of the great tragedies. Last night, David and I and uh, Matt McClavick, an elder from David's church or from Christ the Word, um, were talking about how tragic it is that so many homes in our churches have, are led by the woman. And so what happens inevitably is as the children grow up and typically as they reach high school or maybe, maybe college, the sins of that home become very visible, all right? You can hide them when they're little kids, you know? But as they grow up, the sins of the home become visible. And in a wife-led home, there's absolutely no way to deal with the sins of the home. None. And the reason is that the wife leads it. So how do the, how do the elders get involved in that home and try to bring order if the husband has not led his wife? Now... Do y'all understand what I'm saying? I'll be speaking to you. <laughs> if your home is led by your wife, the day will come when that will become clear to the elders and pastors of the church. And I and my brother will both tell you, point blank, there is no hope for that home. There is no hope. Now you say, well, what do you mean no hope? Do you mean none of them are Christians? I say, no, that's not what I mean. What I mean is that that home will self-destruct. Absolutely, it will turn its back on the church's mother. Because there's, on there's only room for that mother in that home, and the church can't compete. Because that mother, for years, has had her husband. Uh, and so... When you think about the issue of loving the church, because that's the subject I'm under, that is going to require you to discipline your wife to love the church, <laughs> to love the pastor, <laughs> you know? Does this make sense to everybody here? There are things about me, the elders, the facility, the music, the preaching, the conference, that your wife will not like and will be critical of. And you have to lead your wife to love the church. You have to do that. Because the day is going to come when the only thing that's going to help you with your children in making a good marriage is the church. If nothing else, they're the children you want your child to marry. 
And so if right at the time when they get of a marrying age, you pull them out of the church, and this is going on right now at this church, right? Right at the time when they're most vulnerable, the mother snapped her fingers and her husband said, yes, ma'am, and they're gone. All right? And that has happened so many times in David's and my churches. And so love the church. And the church is being perfected. It is having the sanctification of God. It still has blots and blemishes. It's, it's led by sinners. Elders, sinners, pastors, sinners, older women who are sinners. There's jealousy, there's bickering, there's undisciplined children. There's all kinds of reasons not to love the church. Love the church. Because if your children are going to marry well, you want them to follow your heart. And the heart needs to love the church because that's where it's likely your children will find their husbands and wives, okay? Is everybody with me on that? Um, and so choose a solid and biblical church because it's likely their spouse will come from the people of God that you love and that you gather with for worship. And you want a church that you love, but also a church that will love you by pastoring, shepherding, disciplining, and admonishing you. Don't ever go to a church where you're not regularly admonishing others and being admonished by others. Because the father that doesn't discipline his children doesn't love his children. The church that doesn't discipline its members doesn't love them. Now I know there's not another church in town. There's not another church in the country. Now I, I know there is. I know it's unusual, but don't let the, the decadence and perversion of our culture cause you to think that this is a weakness of ours that we discipline people and admonish them, or cause you to think that if you leave here, you can escape it and that will be nice. It won't be nice, all right? I, a few years ago, warned a man who came with his wife over onto our back deck to tell us that they were angry at everybody in, in the church, and they'd been at the church for probably 15 years at that point. And it was nasty. The wife almost immediately got up in fury and left our home, rude and disrespectful to my wife and me. Just rude. And I said to the husband, I said, if you do not discipline your wife to love the church, she will force you to leave this church with your children, and the results will be catastrophic. Now, some of you know who I'm talking about, and you know the results were catastrophic. And how many times, Dan, as elders, Adam, we say this to people. We say, be careful, be careful. And when Meryl and I look at the couples that have left, and typically they leave as their children reach marrying age. That's when they leave. And when we look at what has happened to those children as the parents leave the church, it's been catastrophic. All right, so love the church. Love the church's discipline. Don't be at a church that will not rebuke you. All right? Next, from their childhood, impress upon your children. Teach them that no decision in life will have as serious consequences for them and their children and the souls of everyone concerned as their choice of a wife or husband. Warn them that you and your wife are to be consulted at the earliest moments of their interest in a potential spouse. The earliest moments. If they wait until they're in love, which that's what they'll tell you, but it's really just infatuation. All right? It's just that some girl hugged them and got her breasts into their chest. That's all it is. 
okay? If they tell you after the fact that they love the person and they have not come to you and you have not listened, you've not had your ear to the ground, you know who they're interested in, all right? You're behind the eight ball. It's going to be very, very difficult to pull it back. So if you hear anybody indicate, you see any evidence of your children being interested in anybody, <laughs> have your ears wide open and tell your children to come to you. Now, I always have said this to my children from the time they're little, and did any of them do it? Um, but that's not quite the way it looks because the best children will see who you love and they will choose them. <laughs> Taylor, I wish you weren't here. <laughs> it's just like, it's very difficult teaching this with our youngest child here. <laughs> okay. When your son thinks he may be interested in a woman, that is the time to speak to you and your wife, asking if you think she would make a good wife. And don't limit the fact and counsel gathering to you and your wife. Point your children to otherwise Christians they can also trust. One of the beautiful things about the church is you've got many mothers and many dads. You know, Seth comes through the door and I kiss him. He hates it. But he's my son, and it's no threat to Mike, none at all. And Mike and David Abu Sara, and you think of all the fathers to our children in this church, you know. Teach your children to relate to the other adults of this church as their mother and their father. Don't be jealous about it. The more mothers and fathers they have, the, be the better, right? All right? And what that's going to require is from the time they're little, allow other people to discipline your children. And don't worry if they get it wrong. I can remember one time when the elders were disciplining one of my children. They went and talked to the child. Then they came up into the living room and explained to me what they thought was going on. And I'm telling you, I just about died emotionally. It was horrible for me, you know, what they were telling me about my child. All right. Love the church. You would rather have elders and pastors be wrong in their discipline than for you to subvert it. Do you understand that? How many times are you wrong in your discipline? I remember a time we spanked Hannah. My wife told me to. And I proceeded to spank her and spank her and spank her for something that she hadn't done. Finally, Mary Lee called the neighbor and found out that it was all misplaced concern. And I'd spanked her, what, four times? It was pathetic. So what? So what? It's going to happen. Any work you give yourself, you're going to do badly, you know? But go ahead and do the work, all right? Um, so cultivate other people in the church, giving themselves to your child. Cultivate the youth group. Whenever we had a parent-child conference at school, at public school, we'd go in and say to the teacher, any discipline that you give to our child to bring order to your classroom, we want you to know we will support. And then, guess what? The teacher's going to be naturally inclined to love your child. Do you understand this? I told the anesthesiologist, he's getting ready to put me under, I will never sue you. Guess what? 
He'll take better care of you than any patient he's had in the previous year. <laughs> now, it's not the reason I said it, but it occurred to me as I said it to the anesthesiologist, right? So make the churches work. Remember what it says in Hebrews? It says, submit to those who keep who are in authority over in the Lord, submit to them, make their work easy because making it hard will, will, will be of no benefit to you. Now, that's a paraphrase. But you understand, if you are punishing your elders for the work that they do, you know, and we don't blame you. <laughs> we have punished our parents and elders for the work they do with us, right? But if you punish them, they're going to get weary and they're going to stop doing their work. You know, if every time you turn your back on a goat, he headbutts you. Sooner or later, that goat's, that goat's done. <laughs> All right. Okay, teach your son self-control and self-discipline. Teach your sons and daughters to work and to work hard. We train and discipline our children in obedience and Christian behavior. Kindness, gentleness, patience, long-suffering, leadership, boldness for our sons, submission, gentle and quiet spirits, deferential spirits for our daughters. These are all actions and behaviors which come to play throughout life and especially important when they get married and need to learn to live with another sinner. There, there is no marriage of a sinner and a righteous person, right? We're not, we're not glorified, we're being sanctified. And so contrary to what every couple believes before they get married, and I finally, I used to be, oh man, I used to be so convinced of my helpfulness in premarital counseling. And after, what, years of looking at the glazed, infatuated eyes, I finally would start saying, listen, I know, you think I'm full of it right now. And so I want you to come back after you get married, maybe three months, two, two months later, and then you'll understand what I'm saying, and then we can really be productive, you know? And so you need to realize that your children are going to marry sinners, inculcate in them, discipline for them the character that will make them a good husband and wife, and teach them self-discipline and self-control so that they are not sexually immoral as they get close to marrying. Be intentional about the details of your son's life that are connected with finding a wife. Watch what happens in your home and whom you allow into it. Watch whom you allow into your home. All right? Watch who you allow into your church and youth group. I know it sounds weird, but meditate on it. Guard your church and youth group from predators, both male and female. And to do this, you must be capable of recognizing predators. Now, if, oh man. There are women... And there are men who are predators. We have one at this conference. He's just a natural-born predator. And he brags about it. And he beds women. All right? There are women who are in youth groups who are predators. Jesus does not tell us that children escape the command not to cast your pearls before swine. Don't use your children as evangelists if it's at the risk of them being casualties of predators. Now, can all of you track what I'm saying? Do you understand what I'm saying? Does this make sense to you? Listen, there are friends of your children 
that are predators. And I don't care if you're a pastor, an elder, a deacon, I don't care what you are, it's your obligation to protect your children from predators. Remember last night I talked about the guy who was the PCA church planning seminary professor who his son was molested by a, an older boy or man in the neighborhood and his dad did nothing. And I want you to know that is the norm in my experience in the church, in this church. Most fathers will not protect their children. And it just boggles your mind, doesn't it? But you look at yourself and you don't protect your children. You don't protect your children because your wife thinks that you have a disproportionate concern. You don't protect your children because you're just plain tired. You don't protect your children because you're sexually a sinner. And so you don't even want to think about your son's sexual sin. Right? Are you all with me now? Okay? Protect your children. They are vulnerable. They think they're not. They will swear up one side and down the other that they're not vulnerable. And then they'll prove they are, and then they'll come back and swear up one side and down the other. They're not vulnerable. And then they'll fall again, and then they'll come to you, and they'll swear up one side and down the other. They're not vulnerable. Just don't listen to them. <laughs> they're boring. And you be boring and just keep saying what you know God wants you to say. All right? They are vulnerable. All right? Your daughters are vulnerable. They're vulnerable to your uncle and your cousin and your, your grandfather. They're vulnerable to the pastors and elders. They're vulnerable to uh, the women in the youth group, the men in the youth group. Always be thinking dirty thoughts like Scripture always records for us. Okay? Imagine that today we live among men that are just like Scripture. <laughs> and then you'll be free to be the man God made you to be which is a man who protects his children from predators. Does that sound wacko or do you all understand? Protect your children. All right, all right, I'll get off that one. All right. We have parents at times who won't put their kids in the nursery, who won't have them ever sleep over at anybody's house. And listen, you guys, I'm sorry, but this is going to take a few minutes. When do I need to be done? Years ago, there was a crash of a value jet down in Florida. We had a woman from my church on that jet. She was a cheerleader at IU. Afterwards, I followed the investigation, and there were a series of unbelievable occurrences, every one of which was a statistical anomaly. I mean, it could never happen, and they all had to happen. And so when they got done the investigation into that jet crashing, what they found was that if they put controls, safety guards, in place for every single one of the things that happened that was like a one in a million occurrence and all of them had to happen, that they would make the safety of aviation less. Because it would inure people to the real dangers and the real safety guards that are common. People would get jaded about regulations and they'd grow slack in the ones that really mattered if they tried to protect for every contingency. Are you with me? Do not be this way in your home. You have to live in trusting God about your children and you can't have your goal be to never 
make your children in any risk and vulnerable. There's no such position. And if you try to do that, your children, it'll be a self-fulfilling prophecy, your children will be molested. What you want is a combination of guarding and seducing as a parent. You want to seduce them to the good and you want to smack them about the evil and then let them live in a whole lot of territory that's between the two. You know, where they see your gaga about your church and, and certain women in your church who are their, your son's age and if they allow some other woman who's a slut to get close to them, you smack them, right? No, actually, four. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so uh, be very careful about the whole issue of danger. Tell your son to watch the woman's relationship with her father. Tell your daughter to watch the man's relationship with his mother. That will predict what their marriage is like. Um, have your home a place where your children want to invite their friends in, then watch their friends, and then talk to your child about their friends. It's a good teaching opportunity. The things you don't like, the things you like. If all you ever talk about are good things, you're not doing half your work. Point out the bad things. If all you ever talk about the bad things, you're not doing half your work. Seduce them to the good. Don't be afraid to go to the mat forbidding your son, the Canaanite woman. You may lose him, but on the other hand, you may save him. Listen, <laughs> there were some occasions with one of my children where it was like, okay, I may lose him, but I am not giving in. And if your bottom line is not to lose your children, you're not going to be a good father. Your bottom line has to be to do what is necessary to protect him, all right? And there will be some people you absolutely must forbid, and don't think it's wrong for you to forbid your son. Certain women. Do you understand that? But there are certain women you don't want, certain men you may not want, and when you let your thinking be known, you can see their hearts are already headed. And those women, those men, you'll get to a point where you have to know when to hold them and know when to fold them. In other words, you reach a point where you need to accede to your son, your daughter. There was, you know, I can't tell you stories. I have so many stories of this in our own marriage, in our own family. Listen, if you have concerns about who your husband or your, wife, your, your son or your daughter is choosing, and it gets to the point where it's clear that they're both set on each other, there comes a point where you shut your mouth and you give every bit of support and encouragement you can to them. Do you understand? Yes. Unless it's a Canaanite, yeah. There are some that you don't mind if you lose them as your friend and your home. It won't happen. We won't be at the wedding. We absolutely oppose it, right? But there will be a, more commonly in the gray area. Um, so that's know when to hold, know when to fold, when to seed the point. Be explicit about sexual purity. Ask your children explicitly. And remember, they will lie to you. So you don't have the ability of saying to God, well, I asked. What you need to do is look for indications of lying. Look for windows that are left open, okay? Go down and check their bedroom. You know, ask them about their texting and see whether or not they put computers and phones away when you show up. 
okay? Find out whether they're always with other people. There's absolutely no reason for your children to ever be alone with a member of the opposite sex, ever. I don't know. Why should they do it? Fornication is just as bad as adultery, all right? Now, a couple last things. Number one, remember I said to some of you last night that, that in Calvin's Geneva, they had a standard that nobody could be engaged longer than six weeks. And if you prolonged your engagement longer than six weeks, the city fathers would come after you and force you to marry. Now why? Well, they took seriously the temptation to sexual immorality. And so remember, it's better to marry than to burn. Do not make the marriage of your children subordinate to their future professional and financial stability. It is true that no one has any business being involved with a woman who can't provide for her. And so you don't want anybody involved with your daughter. You don't want them marrying rather than burning. If this dude is a, what would we say, a, uh, a yeah, slack. Yeah, that's, yes, that's a, that's a nice word. A rotter. <laughs> a ne'er-do-well. A scumbag, right? A son of Belial, yeah. Um, but on the other hand, if she is helpful to her mother, loves children, is a virgin, is beautiful, he is hardworking, of course they're going to be tempted to be sexually involved with each other. Get them married. Now, you realize the difficulties of saying that. And so let, let me just say, you have to be very, very careful not to be precipitous in the matter of your children's marriage. But listen, every marriage is hard. Every marriage is two centers, so don't worry about it. Now, one last thing. What I would really encourage you to do, if I were to sum all this up, is I would encourage you to look at the women in your church and the Christian women that you and your son know and make comments about who you want him to marry. <laughs> it's a little secret, and it does work. If you talk to he Heidi and Joseph, you know what you'll find out? You'll find out, I went back up to my church in Wisconsin to preach after we'd been gone for probably three years or so, and there was Heidi, just delightful Heidi. And all the kids were out in front of the church playing. And I looked at Heidi and I looked at Joseph and I said, Yeah, I think I said to them, you know, the two of you should marry each other. And all of you look at me when I say things like that and you think, oh, that's Tim. <laughs> yeah, it is me. And boy, am I happy the two of them got married. And do you know that Heidi has told me that, that that was very formative for her? She's just junior high. You know, Lucas lived with us. Ding dong. Right? I've always told, well, never mind, I won't keep going, but I could keep going. I think that you actually do choose your children's spouses. And so be very careful how you treat the young women of the church and the young men. Because if your children love you, their hearts will follow your heart. And you really will choose their spouse.
All right. One final thing. Each of your children will have various weaknesses. Do not hesitate to speak to their future husband and wife about what those weaknesses are and to tell them what you need from them. 